are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Second Kings chapter number four in your Bibles, please. Second Kings chapter number four. I'm so glad tonight when I come back to North Valley, I come back to an independent Baptist church. Independent, fundamental, premillennial, and slightly temperamental. I like it. I like it. I'm so glad. I'm glad that it hadn't changed over the years. Dr. Lee Robertson was right when he said, everything rises or falls on leadership. And we have weak leadership nowadays. It's sad. It's sickening. And I'm glad that it hadn't changed into some generic thing without labels and doctrines and standards. I'm glad he's still holding the line. I'm glad about that. I'm glad they haven't distorted the matter of grace. I'm glad about that. This extreme grace crowd is not extreme at all. It's anemic. The grace of God that uh, bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, but it doesn't teach all men. It teaches us who are saved to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live soberly and righteously in this present world. And any grace preaching that doesn't encourage godly living is not Bible grace. And I thank God that we, I'm glad that Dr. Treber didn't trade his suit in for a little skinny pair of jeans. Get him a stool and bring it in. Walk around with his shirt tail out, drinking a cup of coffee. Amen. Sit down on the stool and rap with the crowd. I'm glad there's still some preaching going on around here. I'm glad. I've never seen, I've never seen such a feminine ministry in my life. Enough to puke a dog off a gut wagon. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And we've got so many masculine women and effeminate men. And what bothers me, they're in the ministry. And that's what really, really bothers me. I'm sick to my gills. I've never seen. Uh, Brother um, Johnson this morning got on uh, the matter talking about the shirt. I agree with you, Brother Johnson. This is a wrong day for men to be dressing like women. Amen. It just is. I came in years ago. My children were small, and I came in. I was in a hurry. I was going to soul winning. I had to take a shower. I jumped in the shower, jumped out, reached and opened my underwear drawer, and all my underwear were pink. Pink. All of them. I hollered at my wife, honey, got a problem. She said, what's that? I said, my underwear are pink. I heard her laugh. She said, oh, I forgot to tell you, I was washing some of the girls' bright red dresses this morning. They accidentally got dumped in with your underwear, and your underwear came out a little pink. I said, a little? I said, what are you going to do about it? She came up. She was standing in the doorway by now, just dying of laughing. She thought it was funny. I didn't think it was funny one bit, not one bit. I said, yeah, every one of them going to make shoe shine rags for her. I put on pink underwear, woman. She laughed. She said, who's going to see them? I said, who's going to see them? I've already seen them, and God's already seen them. And besides, I couldn't even walk right in a pair of pink underwear. 
And besides, get out here in a car wreck somewhere. Haul a chunk of my body in with pink underwear hanging all over it. They'll be selling Frosties in hell before this boy ever puts on a pair of pink underwear. Did you get that? Brother Alvin, don't you ever let them put pink underwear on you. I'll preach about you all over America. You wouldn't look good in them anyway. I'll tell you that right now. Amen. And I'm Larry Brown, and I approve of this message. Did I say Second Kings? Is that what I said? Sometimes you'll think you're saying one thing and you say something else. Some, I, you know, I've been to the pulpit. I've read what I thought was right, and I was reading something that was wrong all the time, a different page or something. All preachers have been the uh, windsucker up in the hills of Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. And, boy, we've got the old-fashioned windsucking, uh, Jesus-loving, devil-hating preachers, and they'll preach like put an ah on the end of everything. I like it. I was raised that way. I love that kind of preaching. I love it, love it, love it. And uh, you don't find many funny boys in that crowd. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Amen. And, uh, and he was preaching. Uh, he, he hadn't even got to his opening prayer. He was already caught up in it. And he was uh, preaching. Uh, and he, he was reading from the book of Genesis. And here's what he read. And the Lord made her to be. And he turned the page. Well, he thought he turned the page. They were stuck together. He turned three instead of one. Here's what he read. And the Lord made her to be 175 cubits long, 100 cubits wide, 50 cubits tall, and they put a window in the top thereof. He stared at her in a moment, looked up and said, She's a big one when she boys, I'm telling you, she's a big one. He said, I wouldn't believe that myself. It wasn't in the Bible, I promise you. I'm open to Second Kings. Boy, you know what? I, I don't have but 50 things I'd like to preach tonight. That's all. If you better pray that we get settled on something, I'm going to be a long time. I tell you what, I want to take off and preach. Uh, I've got a sermon called uh, the some people we want in our church and a few that we don't. And uh, I was te really tempted to preach that tonight. I had it. My wife was hoping I'd preach that, I think. But anyway, um, uh, I, well, I thought about it, but um, <clears throat> I want to go a different direction tonight. Uh, something I think maybe would be a little more helpful. I don't want to just preach to the choir. I want to preach to everybody. Second Kings chapter number 4. Everybody stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Ye soul. You better stand up quick. I feel some preaching coming on right now. Mm. The big wheel's about to get tangled up with the little wheel. Here we go. Second Kings chapter number 4, verse number 8. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem where was a great woman. And she constrained him to eat bread, and it, so it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said to her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Now look up at me, let me just narrate some of this and get down to our text. Here's a great woman of God. We know she's great because God called her great. Not everybody that uh, thinks they're great or we think's great is really great. But when God says somebody's great, they're great. And you could preach a whole sermon on Mother's Day on why this woman was great. I don't have time to get into that. But uh, Elisha said to his servant Gehazi, 
This woman has been so careful for us with all this care, done all these many wonderful things for us. What's, what, what have we done for her? What's been done for her? And among other things, he said, well, she's never had a child. She always wanted a child, wanted to have a baby, and she never was able. He said, go call her. And she came in, and he said, according to the time of life, you're going to have a child. Oh, do not lie to thy handmaid. That, that was in the past. I had a dream. I guess like most women have a dream to have a little baby, but that's long gone. Way years ago. That, I'm way past that. Lord, and the man of God said, no, according to the time of life, you're going to give birth to us. And sure enough. Would you believe a miracle of God? And she conceived in a little boy. Well, can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine all the victories that came with all of her relatives and all of her friends celebrating with her? And the little thing grew. And I would guess, we don't have a lot of detail, but I would guess that he was a fine young man. And he got about grown. He was with his daddy in the field and working. And all of a sudden, one day, he said, my head, my head probably an aneurysm if the truth is known, but he hollered something wrong, and his dad said, we get him to his mother fast as you can, and they rushed him to his mother, and he sat on her knees till noon, and at noon he died. And the Bible says in verse 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And the wonderful thing, she ran to the man of God in verse number 22, and verse number 23 and 24, and on down through verse 26. And uh, she said to the man of God as she fell at his feet, he said, is it well with thee? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she said those three immortal words, all is well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot God hath taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And how could she say it as well? With a broken heart and broken dreams and the only real thing in her life that she could really honestly know God did miraculous for her. And now suddenly without explanation and without warning, it is snatched away from her. How in this world could she say all is well? And I think it's because of one little phrase that for year, most of my ministry I overlooked it's found in verse number 21, and she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And by the way, there's a sermon in itself. When she laid that child on the bed of the man of God, I believe what she was saying there was this. I may never see him again, and he may never live again. God gave him a miraculous answer to prayer to that man of God who's got to sleep in this bed tonight. But whether I ever see him alive again or not, the man of God, is going to have to do something about that boy before he gets in his sleep tonight. He'll have to do something about that. And you know, I don't think we ought to be dictating to God what he does in our circumstances. But I believe we need to come and bring some things to God and say, Dear Lord, I won't give you any peace. I won't give you any peace till you do something about it. You're going to have to relieve the burden some way about it. And I think that's the kind of praying that we need. And you can preach on that, preachers. But let me preach on the last part of it here. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and she shut the door upon him and went out. She shut the door. And I think there's more contained here than the fact she just shut the door to a room. The, the room was in the house. She shut the door to the house, but she shut the door. And she didn't just shut the door. 
to the room, she shut the door up on him. And I believe symbolically there we have in her heart and soul a commitment of this thing to God to say, all is well. Whether he lives or dies, all is well. I'm going to shut the door on it. I'm going to close the door on it. However it comes out, God is good, and I will trust him about all that he does. I want to bring you a simple message tonight entitled, Would You Please Shut the Door? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you'll bless us now and thank you for the privilege to preach. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll anoint the message with the power of God. I have nothing to bring before these people, but I got a rich neighbor on a hill that's got a lot of good bread. And dear Lord, I come to him and ask him now for bread for these people. I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll anoint us with the power of God. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've already done in this wonderful service. Our hearts have been stirred. We've been swept heavenward over the beautiful music and the fellowship and the joy. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you'll bless us now tonight as we preach. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. Let me jump, without any further ado, let me jump right into the message. We need to shut the door on some things. First of all, we need to shut the door on some horrible things that we have done in the past. And I'm speaking to laymen and some in the ministry here who for years have been dragging some junk along behind you. You've been forgiven. You've asked God to forgive you a hundred times. And the last 99 of those times was sin. You should have took him at his word the first time and trusted him to forgive you. I, there was a lady years ago who had been so faithful, raised her family and in the church, and had the kind of woman you couldn't build a church without. And she came to me, and I, I mean, you, you'd have to know how wonderful this lady was. And she came to me, she said, Pastor, I need to tell you something. And I said, all right. And I've never told anybody. She said, years ago, I murdered my little unborn baby. I had an abortion. And she began to talk. And as she began to talk, she said, Preacher, they're not telling the truth. They're not telling the truth to these women and girls about abortion. She said it was a large abortion clinic. And when they rolled me out into the recovery room, she said I was somewhat sedated. But she said, Pastor, there were several other girls and women in that room. And she said all of them were crying. All of them. And she said I could hear one of them saying, I killed my baby. I murdered my baby. She said, Preacher, they're not telling the truth. And they're not. One lady said she'd had an abortion. She said, I wake up at 2.30 in the morning. And she said, I can hear my baby crying, the one I murdered. I can hear my baby crying. And she said, in my sleep, I think I'm awake. And I get up and I wander through the house in my sleep trying to find my baby. And my baby's crying for me. And I can't reach my baby. And she said, I'll go out on the front porch and there's a hedge out there. And I'll see my baby in the hedge. And my baby's reaching out and crying. And I'm trying to get to my baby. And I can't. The rail is in the way. And I can't get there. She said, they're not telling the truth. They're not telling the truth. I'm telling you the truth, but as wicked and wrong and sinful as that is, thank God there is a balm in Gilead. There's power in the blood. I love this verse in Isaiah 43, verse 25. God says, I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins anymore. Now think about that. I even how God said him, he that blotteth out thy transgression. And he said, for my own sake. For my own. I said, no, Lord, I understand you. You're doing it for our sake. That's, that's understandable. 
But why would you do it for your sake? And the Lord showed me this truth. He said, when I look down at you, I want to love you as though that never happened. I want to see you as though there was never an event like I want to give you the joy that you would have if you had never committed anything. I want to use you. I want to fill you with my spirit. I want to make you a monument for God serving the Lord. And when I look down at you, I don't want to have to look at that mess. So I blotted it out. I didn't just forgive it. I took it away. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Buried it. You say, preacher, good night. You're preaching to the choir. And the choir has been dragging some stuff for a long time. And I'm speaking to scores of people in this room, and you hate yourself for things that happened years ago when it's high time to... Listen, the Bible says clearly in Proverbs 28, 13, he that confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. And the forsaking is not just the forsaking of the doing, of it. It's the forsaking of the remembering of it. It's the forsaking of the going back to it. Leave it alone. Shut the door. I feel a draft somewhere. Somebody left a door open somewhere. I feel a draft. It's high time that somebody shut. A lady came to me. She said, I married the wrong man years ago. I said, well, you may have married the wrong man, but you're now married to the right man. Yeah. Yeah, I had a preacher friend was preaching in a large youth conference. There was a girl in that youth conference, a teenage girl that was a Bible college student. Her mother had cancer and was dying with cancer. And the girl had been home three times with the intent to witness to her mother because her mother was lost. And each time, you know, it's hard to witness to your own family. is the hardest thing you ever did. And, and three different times, Satan had just sidetracked side her. But she said, I'll get her. Mom's not that bad yet, but... She got a shocking, surprising call that her mother had died. She was in that conference sometime later. And the preacher, if I called this man's name, you'd know it. Preacher friend was preaching. And, in, uh, and he got on soul winning. And in the middle of the conference, this teenage girl jumped up and says, I let my mother go to hell. I let my mother go to hell. Well, you may have let your mother go to hell, but there's a whole lot of mothers hadn't gone to hell yet. There's a whole lot of children and teenagers hadn't gone to hell. How many among us can't think of something we'd love to just take a big eraser and erase from our life? Who among you? Well, preacher, you don't understand. I've got a past. No. You got to be kidding. Is there anyone here that does not have a past? If you don't have a past, would you please come down and sign my Bible right after the service? I should be so glad. If you just, I've never met anybody like you. Listen, I'm telling you this right now. I'm thinking of people now who committed horrible sins and it torments you. It's time to get over it. Shut the door. God can't use you. You cannot have the joy of the Lord. You, you, you look in the mirror and you still hate yourself. Forget it. Get over it. It's past. It's done. Shut the door on some horrible things you've done. Number two, shut the door and this one will get you. Shut the door on some horrible things people have done to you. I was preaching, I think it was Ohio or Maryland one, I forget which, and I was by myself before Rhonda came into my life. And by the way, my sweetheart Rhonda's with me tonight. If you haven't met Rhonda, you've missed a blessing. I hope you'll get by and see her. My oldest daughter Joanna's over here, married to Jeremy Colbinat, and I'm glad is Tim here tonight. I haven't seen Tim, but he's here with one of our grandchildren. Dr. Dr. Treber and I have got to get along whether we want to or not. We share grandchildren, you know, and uh, so I'm glad. But, I, but it was before Rhonda came into my life, and I was alone, and I was preaching. I 
church run about 500, and we'd had a wonderful service that morning. The former governor was there and different things, and a great crowd, and people got saved, and people on the altar, and wonderful things. And it dismissed service, and the pastor was fellowship, and I was sitting on the front row, and I was hungry. Oh, I was hungry. But he was having to deal with problems like pastors do, and I was trying to be patient. And I was sitting there, and a man walked up who was then about my age now, and he walked up, and he had a lady with him that I learned later was his sister, and she was 61 years old. And he said, uh, Brother Brown, he said, uh, we were almost home. We don't live far from here. His his sister lived with him in the house. said, we were almost home. We don't live far from here. And my sister turned to me and said, I can't go home. I can't go home. I, I got to tell that preacher something I've never told anybody. And I said, well, um, and he said, well, if you want to talk to the preacher, we'll go back. So they did. I said, sure, sit down right here. And her brother sat down beside her. I said, uh, uh, what's your story? She said, well, when I was a child, I was molested uh, by a stepfather. I said, how old were you? She said, from age 10 to 20. I said, 20, couldn't you do anything about that? She looked at me and curdled my blood. She said, you don't know what it's like to live in fear. She said, I was 38 years old before I got married because of it. And then she said, I married a man that ended up to be a drunk. But then the joyful moment when they... And she said, I thought for the first time in my life, I can have somebody that will love me that I can trust. I can have somebody to love that I can know won't hurt me. A little baby, so innocent. I felt like for the first time in my life, my, my life could have a little bit of worth to it, just a little bit of value to it. And then she said one night, he got drunk and kicked me and killed the baby. She said, all my life I felt, felt like a worthless piece of filth. But I had the joy of telling that woman that there was a bomb in Gilead. I had the joy of telling that woman that God was not done with her because if God was done with her, he'd have took her to heaven years ago. But God had a purpose for her. And there's a world of people out there that she, that's hurting just like she's been hurting. And she could help them with her story and she could reach out and rescue people and help people. But she's got to shut the door. I'm speaking to people all over this room. You need to shut the door on some horrible things people have done to you. I was out soul winning one day, and I wanted an old fellow to the Lord been a bachelor for years and years. Matter of fact, unless he's died, he's still coming to my home church. Rhonda and I don't get there real often, but I saw him, I think, a couple of times ago when I was there. Bachelor, never got married. And uh, I was talking to him one day, and I said, Well, so, Simon, you never got married, did you? He said, Nope. I said, So you just never found Miss Wonderful, did you? He said, yeah, I found her. I said, you did? He said, yeah. And I loved that girl, and that girl loved me. But he said, you see, she and her family was from the upper escalon of financial value. And we were poor, real poor. And her mother and daddy said, no way, no way. You'll never marry that boy. We'll see to it. You'll never. And so they broke it up. And then he looked at me with a grimace. 
And he said, I'll never forget when I went out yonder onto that hill and I set that rifle down like this and I put the end of the barrel right here and I reached down and I took my thumb and I set it on the trigger. And then he looked up and he said, I wished a thousand times I had pulled that trigger. And I thought, oh, my soul, if only he had shut the door. If he had just shut the door, there's more than one girl in the world. There's more than one girl in the world. You know, some of you young fellas, you, you fall in love with something you think is the prettiest thing in the world. And for whatever reason... She don't give you the time of day or some other Casanova comes along and rips her away from you and you're going to pout and grieve the rest of your life. Hey, God could be trying to protect you from something. Young lady, God could be trying to protect you. You say, oh, but I feel, forget your feelings. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God. Naught else is worth believing. Hey, forget feelings. Just, we got to close the door on some. My pastor, Bobby Robertson, used to enjoy telling about a pastor friend that went and visited the mental institute one day. And he was walking down by the sales, and he had, he had the guard with him. And he walked past the sale, and there was a fellow standing there. You could look in his eyes and tell he was gone. And he was holding on to those padded bars. And here's what he was saying. Lulu. 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 And this pastor asked the guard, said, What's his problem? Well, when he was young, he fell in love with a girl named Lulu, and he was going to marry her. But he said uh, <laughs> some other fellow more handsome and with more money came along and stole her heart, and she left him and went with her, and he never got over it. He went stone crazy. He, could, he, he just never got over it. Well, it went on about two sales later, and there was a fellow showing up in a bad shape. Now, I mean, he was down on the floor, saliva running out of his mouth. His hair is all down in his eyes, and he was looking up and, and clawing at the bars and looked up at him as he walked by and said, Lulu, Lulu, Lulu. And this pastor asked the guard, I guess he lost Lulu too, huh? He said, no, he, he got Lulu. He's the one that got her right there. It just could be God's trying to protect you from something. It just could be, hey, why don't you just shut the door? Shut the door, shut the door. Some horrible thing they've done to you. I feel a draft. I feel a draft. Somebody needs to shut the door. Some, some horrible things that people have done to you. Here's another one. We need to shut the door on some horrible things. This, if the first two didn't get you, this one will. We need to shut the door on some horrible things that people have done to people that you loved. That don't get you. You know what? I, I won't take time to go into these three passages of Scripture, but may, you, if you want to jot them down, you could. But let me, don't turn. I'll be gone before you get there anyway. But let me, let me, just, let me just give you this. You know, I love to tie these three verses together. If you've never discovered them, you'll have a hallelujah fit when you see them. In 2 Samuel chapter number 17, verse number 23, and when Ahathophel saw that his counsel was not followed, it says there, he went to his house and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Ahathophel was the right-hand man of King David. 
His counsel was so wise that it was considered as the oracle of God. The word oracle means the word of God. It was like, it was like he was inquiring of God when you went to him. And he was David's counselor in many war maneuvers. And many of the victories that David had was because of Ahithophel. And he was loyal to, Ahith uh, to David and loved David. And in the midst of that, suddenly and seemingly without warning or explanation, he defected from David and went and joined David's worst enemy, who was trying to kill him, who just happened to be his son, Absalom, and became his counselor. And when he did, David prayed, Lord, confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. Lord, mix him up. If, if, if you don't confuse his counsel, I'm a dead fish in the water. I mean, he's going to get me. He'll, he'll get me. If he starts counseling uh, Absalom, I have no hope. Confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. Well, Ahithophel came up with a plan to kill David, which would put him in the trigger-pulling position to pull the bow, where he would be the one to kill David. Strange and mysterious, when he had been so loyal to him. Well, Absalom had another counselor, and the other counselor came up with a different plan, and for some reason, we know it was the providence of God, for some reason, Absalom followed the counsel of the other counselor instead of Ahithophel. And Ahithophel uh, went to his house and killed himself. And I've read that verse dozens of times through the years, and I thought to myself, well, it's bad when somebody else gets your job, but to kill yourself over it, to commit suicide over it. And I scratched my bald spot, and I've wondered about that many, many times. And then I found the answer in God's Word. Now, jot the second verse down. It is uh, chapter 23 and verse number 34. And here's what it says. Just the last part of the verse, just one little phrase. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel the Gileonite. Eliam was the son of Ahithophel. You say, well, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? You hang on, I'll show you. The third verse is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and verse number 3. And here, here's what it says. And by the way, uh, right off, you'll recognize this as the chapter where um, uh, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And the Bible says he went and sent for that woman to commit sin with her. And David sent and inquired after the woman, 2 Samuel 11, verse number 3. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? What's he sending for her for? Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And who did I say Eliam was? The son of Ahithophel. If Eliam was the son of Ahithophel, and Bathsheba was Eliam's daughter, who does that make Bathsheba as far as Ahithophel is concerned? His granddaughter. You got it now. You see, uh, Ahithophel watched King David murder his granddaughter's husband to take his granddaughter to be his wife and wreck and ruin her life. And when that happened, he got so bitter that he defected and set out to kill David, and when he couldn't kill him, he killed himself. Bitterness is a poison that you take in hopes that it will kill your enemy. Bitterness is a poison that you take. Let me, I wish I had time to tell this whole story. Well, let me tell it now. 
just a little bit of it. Every year, Jack Lowe came to our church. We invited him for several years in a row. Every year he came to our church, and every year he gave his testimony. It was always the same. He wasn't a preacher. He never claimed to be a preacher. He'd just give his testimony. We always had people saved. We always had people blessed when Jack would come to give his testimony. I can't tell you the whole story, but let me give you the gist of it. I, I remember Jack. He'd start out this way. He said, when I was a little five-year-old boy, my daddy died. And he said, I didn't go to school in those days. I was too young, and I didn't have friends, but I did have a mama. And he said, I learned through the years, and as I reflect and looking at pictures, that my mother was an extremely beautiful woman. She was still in her 20s. And he said, because my mother was an extremely beautiful woman, there was a certain man who uh, began to apply for her attention, but said my mother would not give him any attention, for two reasons. Number one, she was still grieving over her husband. And number two, she knew too much about this man. She knew that if she was interested in a husband, this was not the kind of man that she would want to get involved with. However, he kept pursuing her and pursuing her. And she kept evading him and avoiding him until finally she had to make it very clear to him, I am not interested in you today, tomorrow, or ever. And, I, and you can forget it. This thing will not go anywhere. And she just about had to be rude to him uh, to get him to qu quit bothering her and pursuing her and I remember Jack saying as a little boy, my mama now sometime after that was picking blackberries up in the hills. They just crossed state line into Virginia, I think is where they were. And said, we had our pail. I had my little pail, and it was almost full of wild blackberries. And said, mama said, now, son, we're going to make a big old blackberry cobbler. But said, right up the bank here, I see some more berries. But if we try to get to them, there's too many briars, and we're allowed to get on a copperhead or a rattlesnake in here. So why don't we step down out of here? We'll get in this old wagon roadway, and we'll walk around and get up to the blackberries. And he said, we, we step down on the roadway. Said, when we step down on that roadway, a man stepped out from behind the bush, eight feet away, closer from here to that pulpit right there, and raised, it was that man, who was after her, he raised a double-barrel 12-gauge shotgun, pull, pulled both triggers at the same time at close range. He said, he cut my mother half in two. He said, she was dead when she hit the ground. He said, I slipped my little five-year-old hand under her head, the blood running all over me. He said, he said, I slipped my hand under her head, and I said, Mama, I'll get him. I'll get him, Mama, if it's the last thing in this world I do, I'll get him, I'll get him for you, Mama. The man fled, and from that point, he spends 40, 45 minutes telling the gruesome, horrible story about how thirsty he got to kill the man that killed his mother. He said, she was all I had. I didn't have a daddy. I didn't have anything, and he took away all I had. And he said, I'll never forget the day when they gave him life in prison instead of the chair. It tickled me to death. I didn't want the government to kill him. I wanted to kill him. I he said, I, I dreamed of the day when I could squeeze that trigger. And, and then he tells a story of how he just burned his life out with drink and drugs, try and, and he could... He he tried everything he could to get to that man. Of course, he was locked behind high walls. And then I don't have time to tell you the glorious story of his conversion. He was about gone. He'd been on the operating table. They cut out two-thirds of his stomach, just eat his body up with drinking drugs. But, the, but uh, God reached way down and saved him. He got born again. And then he began to try to get behind the walls to see the man for a different reason. And I don't have time to go into the whole story about all the legislators he talked to and the people that tried to help convince others that he would not harm the man 
And I remember him telling about the day when I walked through those doors. And he said, when I came down, there was an outer wall there, and they had a little area where they had some beautiful flowers. There was an old man bent over tending to those flowers. And he said, the guard said, see that man tending to those flowers? He said, yeah. He said, that's the man that killed your mother. He said, can I talk to him? He said, yeah, as long as I'm with you. He said, he just walked up and said, you got some pretty flowers here, sir. He said, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. So they, 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 let, me, they let me do this because it gives me something to do. I ain't going nowhere, no way. It gives me something to do. He said, got a minute we can talk? He said, sure. He said, can we sit down over here? And said, we just sat down on a bench. said, I had not sat down on that bench till I looked him in the eye and said, my name is Jack Lowe. And he said, you could look in his eyes and tell when it hit him. He said, he just froze. And he said, oh. He said, mister, do you see this hand right here? He said, yes, sir. He said, you're looking at a hand that loaded and unloaded a 38 a thousand times, dreaming of the day when I could squeeze that trigger and take you out of the world for you taking my precious mother away from me. But he said, what do you see in that hand? He said, it looks like a Bible. He said, it is a Bible. And I came to tell you the most glorious thing that happened to me. God reached way down and washed that old poison out of my heart and he took it away and I didn't come to kill you today. I came to tell you what somebody told me that you could find that wonderful forgiveness and love that I found and he led that man to God and later they paroled him and when they paroled him, you won't believe this, he came to Jack Lowe's house and Jack let him live in his house until they could find a place for him to live. One of the greatest stories of love and forgiveness you ever heard in this world because he shut the door shut the door shut the door I'm speaking I don't know what somebody's done to you I have no idea what somebody's done to you and I don't have any idea what somebody has done to somebody you love but it's high time I feel a draft in here and I know you wouldn't expect in this sermon tonight but I feel a draft in here somebody's left the door I'm talking about some of our best Christian workers I'm talking about some preachers and preachers' wives and preachers' children. Preachers' children that saw churches treat their daddies dirty and wrong. I'm talking, I don't know what somebody, I'm talking to people in this room who gave their life and sacrifice to raise godly children in a church like this and saw the neo crowd courting them and going after them. That's tough. That's rough. But we're going to have to close the door on some things. We're just going to have to do it. General Lee was riding Traveler down through an area years ago. And uh, I love Civil War history. I'll let you guess which side I show up on. But I love Civil War history. <laughs> but there's a story that both the North and the South can appreciate alike. And it's this one. General Lee was riding his horse Traveler down through an area where there had been a great battle years ago. Several thousand people had died and they were still burying them, and her dead horses laying everywhere. And as he was riding, traveling through, you know, it came to a big old two-story house. And that thing had been riddled with cannonballs and musket balls. There was a big old oak tree out front. That thing had been chewed all to pieces. It was right in the line of fire. And, I mean, the limbs were hanging on it and gnarly and, and, and all shot all to pieces. And about time he got to the house, there was a woman came out on the porch. 
she recognized General Lee. General Lee! General Lee! Oh, she nigh under-worshipped him. And then she started saying things she thought General Lee would like. General Lee, would you look what those blasted Yankees have done? They come through here. They forage. They take our chickens and they take our cattle. and They take our horses. They don't ask. They just haul them off. And then they kill our sons and kill our husbands and kill our, our, our neighbors. General Lee, would you? And another thing. I can, how am I going to live in that house? That, that thing, how can we be warm this winter? And another thing, look at that tree. My great-grandfather planted that tree. These blasted Yankees, look what they've done. I mean, my great-grandfather planted that tree. My grandfather swang on that tree. And, and my daddy swang on it. And when I was a little girl, I swang. You know it's going to die. What do you do with something like that? What do you do with it? General Lee's riding traveler around the horse, just slowly looking up. He hadn't said a word. She hadn't given him a chance to say anything. And when he got done circling the tree, he started off down the trail. She realized he was going to leave. Well, General Lee, General Lee, you never did tell me what you do about the tree. He said, whoa, traveler. He turned and said, lady, if I were you, I'd just cut it down and forget it. And I'm speaking to a whole lot of people in this room right now. And you got some junk you just need to cut down and forget. Just cut it down and forget. You say, but these were my children. My heart is broken. How do you get over something like that? How do you deal with something like that? How do you close a door on something like that? I'll tell you the only way in this world. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. When it comes to a point you love him and, and worship him more than your children. When it comes, you're not the only person ever had somebody walk out on them and leave you to have a family by yourself. You're not the only person had somebody that vowed their love to you at a holy altar and then came home and found them gone. You're not the only person that ever tasted the bitter cup. But when you turn your eyes on Jesus and he means more to you than any mate in this world. He means more to you than any child in this world. He means more to you, sir, than even your ministry. And you magnify him and glorify him and he's number one in your life. You can close the door. And you can close the door. Close the door. You'll close the door. If you don't, it'll kill you. If you don't close the door, it will kill you. Now, many illustrations I could give. You'll close the door, or you'll never have the radiance and joy that God wants you to have. You know, all over our churches, there are good Christian people, dozens of them sitting here tonight, but they're not used of the Lord. They're not a real, we see people, Alvin Martinez, get up here and sing like an angel from heaven. I mean, just open up and sing. And you sit there and emulate him. Wish I could be used that way. Well, very few of us can sing that way, but we could have the joy of the Lord radiating through us. We could be a channel of blessing wherein God blesses scores and scores of people. We could have a revival tonight, even among preachers and preachers' families and preachers' wives and deacons and ushers and members of this church and members of a whole lot of other churches represented here tonight. If only we could get free, close the door, close the door. You know, if, <laughs> I love that verse in Psalms 84, 6. Blessed is he that passeth through the valley of Baca, make it a well. I was shocked when I studied my Bible to find out there never has been a place called Baca, a valley of Baca. Never was. And I thought, well, Lord, why'd you say that? Then I looked in the margin. It says, the valley of Baca, not a literal valley, but any place 
a weeping and tears. Blessed is he that passeth through the valley of Baca. Make it a well. Make it a well. Oh, yeah. Make it a living spring. Your so- you'll never have a song. People will never really see Jesus in you like they could. Unless you just shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. You'll never have a song. I heard old Dr. Charlie Weigel recently on recording. He'd been dead for years, but I heard him on recording. My heart was blessed as he told about being, and by the way, very few people know what a great preacher he was. He, he helped some of the greatest revivals in this country. And they finally named the Weigel Music Center after him at the great Tennessee Temple College back when Dr. Lee Robertson was there and reigning as pastor and president of the college. But uh, Dr. Charlie Weigel, I heard him tell it just, what, what, just three months ago maybe, we had the recording, Dr. Weigel told about his wife. When he, she said, I didn't marry a preacher, and I'm not going to live with a preacher. And she left him. He said, I said, well, Lord, I guess I'll just probably ought to get out of the ministry. Who wants to hear a preacher preach? And his wife leaves him anyway, and I guess I'm pretty well done. He said, I remember walking in, sitting down at the piano, and staring at the keys, thinking, what would I sing? He said, I just looked up, and I said, Lord, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. He said, I dropped my head, and within 20 minutes, I wrote the words. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. And God gave the world that song that you and I sing because one man closed the door. He just closed the door, closed the door. There was a little girl, and she was just a tiny little thing, and the old family doctor came, meaning well, put the wrong thing in her eyes, And she never saw the light of day from that moment forward. Blind, set in darkness the rest of her life. Lived pretty good age, never saw the light of day. But when that little girl was eight years old, she wrote these words. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. And by the way, for your general information, she also wrote, Blessed assurance, Jesus. She also wrote, Rescue the perishing. She also wrote, Saved by grace. She also wrote, I shall know him. She also wrote, Safe in the arms of Jesus. She also wrote, Jesus is tenderly calling thee home. She also wrote, Pass me not, O gentle say. And 8,000 other songs and poems, the most of which you have never even heard of and she set this world to singing for two and three generations simply because she shut the door her name was Fanny Crosby and she shut the door shut the door God cannot and God will not use you till you get the door closed on some stuff tonight if I had to get I told my wife just for what I felt dead to preach and she she never said a word she just stared at me like are you sure I'm sure I'm sure we're going to have to close the door. We're going to have to close the door on some horrible things we've done in the past. 
And we're going to have to close the door on some horrible things people have done to us in the past. And we're going to have to close the door on some horrible things people have done to people we loved in the past. And if we don't, we'll never be that channel of blessing. We just never will be. Amen and amen. And that Shunammite woman went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And she shut the door upon him. And went out, I feel a draft tonight. I feel a draft. Somebody needs to shut the door. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.